This is a conversation with Sabrina Saitis, part of the COHDA, the KYHS 2020 Coronavirus Oral History Digital Archive Project. Their interviewer is Shayla Saita, and the date is Saturday, May 15, 2021. Sabrina Saita, may we please have your permission to share and include your remarks as part of the COHDA project? Yes. Okay. What was the reaction of the medical community for the first days of COVID? Well, I think the medical medical community was mixed uh, initially in the reaction to COVID. Um, I think some people didn't really recognize early on the threat that we were under, and then there was probably a contingent of people that um, were very nervous about COVID and started to take you know things seriously and started to implement you know. Um, you know, COVID procedures and things that we needed to do. Um, so I think I think there was a mixed response. Mm -hmm. And so do you think that the medical staff were prepared to deal with such a pandemic? Did they respond well initially? Did they have enough equipment, resources? Well, I think in the very first days, probably not. I think there was confusion. I think there was confusion on protocols, on what we were needed to do with patients, how to risk stratify patients, um, think they're, you know, in terms of PPE and protective wear, I think that they initially um, was not maybe strict guidelines and people weren't sure when they needed to wear, you know, proper, P you know, PPEs and uh, they weren't in all the outpatient centers. But I think as time went on, also as we learned some lessons from New York and some other places around the country who had early experiences with COVID than we did, um, I think we were able to get protocols in place and kind of get consensuses going and then kind of the machinery started to work and people kind of knew their roles and um, what needed to be done um, to help a treat COVID patients and then to protect populations in the hospital and stuff that um, were not there for COVID. So do you think in the first few months of COVID, the public was provided with enough information on the virus, no. how to avoid it, or only a certain part of the population was like provided, maybe like the medical staff, the scientific staff? No, I think initially there was a lot, a lot of confusion about COVID. People weren't sure if it was like going to be um, transmitted like via fomites, so like from touching surfaces. Um, I don't think people understood initially um, the infection was more like a respiratory and airborne type of infection. People weren't sure, you know, just a lot of parameters about the virus, how infectious it was, how long could the virus survive in the air, you know, in respiratory droplets, it was a micro uh, droplets, macro droplets. I think initially, you know, people just didn't know. It, it took time for us to figure out kind of, you know, what we needed to do and, um, you know, how to, how to best protect people. But I think initially, um, and like probably a lot of viruses, you know, people aren't, aren't sure. So just to confirm, do you think the medical staff had like more correct, accurate information than the public? Yeah, of course. I think, you know, more, you know, like people in the medical staff have been dealing with viruses, contagions, um, not necessarily for COVID, but they have protocols for TB and other infectious diseases in place. And they're just in general, you know, more familiar with this topic. Um, so of course, I think the medical community knew more, um, you know, about what was going on maybe than the, you know, lay people or, you know, the regular population, but I think even in the com medical community, I think initially we weren't really sure exactly how this was spreading um, and what we could really do to, you know, reduce our risks. So, you know, I think it was a learning curve. Mm -hmm. um, and what about patients with other medical issues like cancer, other things, were they also treated adequately or you think they were put into second thing and then we were just focusing on COVID 
and how did we treat other people with other issues yeah. besides for COVID? Um, well, yeah, I think that that was very hard. I think a lot of people, first of all, were not seeking care as much. They were not coming in, so we probably missed a lot of diagnoses of early cancer and heart disease. I think people were just not coming in. They were too scared of COVID to really even kind of come in. And so what we were left with was an abundance of COVID patients. Plus initially, we were unsure how to treat the COVID patients. So, um, you know, I think that there was a big focus on the COVID patients. And so I think that probably there, there was some suffering in terms of medical management of non-COVID patients. But I think part of that was the people not coming in for treatment. I think if they did come in for treatment, I think we were certainly adequately staffed in most places other than maybe, you know, some places that were really being overrun by COVID. But in many places, I think that, you know, they still had adequate treatment for patients that really needed um, inpatient services and immediate attention. Um, having said that, like screening programs, preventative programs, other stuff that were non-urgent, you know, surgeries that could were considered quote elective, like maybe you know joint replacements, things that people needed but could wait. I think were all pushed off. So there was definitely healthcare issues that were not being addressed. But I think immediate healthcare issues, like somebody having a heart attack, a stroke, something like that, if they sought medical attention, you know, they were able to get it. So as a doctor, you think a lot of people were scared to come in and so yes. they, a lot of things were... I think a lot of people pushed things off, yes. Yeah. I think in the initial days of the pandemic, there was a real fear of hospitals. And when you were hearing how many people were COVID positive and going there and on ventilators and that maybe there'd be a shortage of ventilators, I think it really scared the population to you know from going to these facilities. I think over time, when we really got protocols in place and people saw that the COVID patients were isolated and you know everybody kind of understood kind of... Um, how to keep non-COVID patients safe in the hospital. I think over time then the population became, um, the population became more willing to come in. And I think that they accepted the fact that, you know, that they wouldn't necessarily come to the hospital and get COVID there. Mm -hmm. And in terms of the understanding of COVID's possible effects, how did it change from the beginning of the um, pandemic to the end? How like, I don't want to affect their body, the health, and even the future. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's very important. So I think initially everybody was just looking at like mortality rates from COVID. Like, okay, COVID was in Italy, in Northern Italy. It affected, you know, most of the thought older people at first. And uh, they were having pretty high mortality rates. And people thought it was like an all or none phenomenon. Either you get COVID and you die from it. And it was in that originally, you know, in the early throws of COVID that was pretty much a lot of the elderly people. So you're either becoming kind of these elderly people who had other comorbidities and they were having high mortality rates from COVID and dying, or, you know, there was the young people, a lot of people weren't getting affected by COVID. And I think it was kind of like this idea is if you're going to get COVID, it'll be like the flu. You get it. You're, if you're old, you know, you're more susceptible to die from it, but if you don't die from it, then you're fine. And you move on. Young people were doing pretty fine with it. And everyone said, okay, so if you know if you get COVID and it doesn't kill you, then you'll be fine. Uh, I think over time people realized that you know people were getting COVID and were having a lot of problems post COVID, and they started to realize okay these weren't just the patients that were in the ICU that you know maybe had post ICU syndrome or they weren't just you know patients who had a rough bout with COVID um, needing a lot of hospitalization. So okay they were suffering afterwards. The body was taking a long time to heal. All of a sudden, as we got further and further into the pandemic, we started to notice, wow, there's a subset of patients that have very mild COVID infections or maybe even asymptomatic COVID infections. They don't know they have it. But yet weeks and months later, they're, very, they're still very sick. 
Um, they're called the long haulers of COVID. They have all sorts of symptoms, far reaching and you know, many different systems of the body um, that has been very hard to explain. Um, and it's, it's, it's not a small sub, you know, subset of patients. Um, so there was these patients basically that either had mild disease or very minimal disease, or maybe even didn't even realize they had COVID. And yet months later, they were still very sick. They were having all sorts of problems with their autonomic system. They were having a neuro, you know, a neuropsych, uh, neuropsychology type of problems, whether that would be depression and anxiety or problems with fatigue, problems with mental fog. Um, so, you know, then there was a subset there. A lot of these patients had shortness of breath, had palpitations well after the infection was no longer in their body or that we could detect in their body, they were still having symptoms. So that was a new face of COVID. So it wasn't just, okay, COVID, like the flu, if you get it, you either fight it off and you're fine or you die. It wasn't like that. These patients were getting COVID and then months later, they were still very, very sick and it was very like debilitating for these patients. So I think that that was something that was unique to COVID that we did not understand early on. And then secondly, as time developed, we started to see even in young kids, a small subset of those kids after they got COVID, they seemed to clear the infection fine if we even knew they had COVID, but then they would come back, you know, weeks later with this, basically this post-inflammatory syndrome, um, also sometimes very sick on the brink of heart failure with myocarditis and all sorts of problems. Um, and we would have to, you know, give them steroids and treat them. And when we did treat them aggressively, and as long as it was recognized, they actually had very good outcomes. Um, and I think, you know, so far those patients, you know, have done very well, but there was a small subset of children that as the pandemic raged on, we realized, okay, this is another, you know, subset of populations that are having some long-term problems with COVID. So I think COVID has been a very unusual virus, both in its um, presentation in different people or the way it affects different people, not just always age related. And then in the fact that a lot of people have, not everybody, but a subset of patients do have these long, you know, hauler type symptoms. So in the beginning, we just thought it was comorbidities. And now we realize that it could be, have long-term effects on Yeah, people. I think originally we just felt like this is an acute illness, like a yeah. flu. You either, you like you get it and you either die from it, like, cause flu does kill a lot of elderly and it also kills like the young, less than six months of age. So we are like, normally if you get the flu, if you get it and you clear it, you're fine. There's no long-term sequela for you. And I think people originally thought that COVID was following those same lines. But I think as it started to rage on, we actually started to realize that there was, COVID was a very, very different virus and really caused a whole host of problems in patients, um, even with mild or no infection. And that months later, these patients are still suffering the effects of COVID, which is not something you see with flu or a lot of other viruses. Yeah. So it's been a very unusual very, very pandemic unusual virus. and virus. Yes. And how about in terms of the United States, United States, we pride ourselves as being one of like the most, um, the top, one of the top countries intellectually and having the most resources. What were the reaction of different countries to COVID and did any country, even like America, um, strike you as particularly dealing with COVID well? I do think we dealt with COVID well. I do think we have a very strong medical infrastructure. And yes, we, you know, are a country that has um, access to, um, you know, to a lot of benefits of a, um, of a, of a, like basically of a nation that has, you know, great healthcare. So we had a lot of ICU beds. We have a lot of ICU doctors. You know, we had access to, um, you know, ventilators that initially we thought was helping the patients, it turned out that, you know, maybe that wasn't the best approach initially, but we did have a lot of resources that other countries, you know, didn't have. And then we also got into some type of cocktails and doing, you know, you know, all sorts of therapies for patients. So we, you know, also got on the bandwagon of these, 
anticoagulants to try to help these patients from having blood clots. And so I do think that medicine-wise and treatment-wise, we're kind of leading and that we um, had you know tremendous care for the patients in terms of the world. So I do think that that, that has helped us. Um, and I think other countries, Israel, I thought did a very good job treating their patients. Um, I think also the UK, you know, I think nations that have, you know, more advanced healthcare infrastructure, obviously were better able to serve their patients. Um, so I do, I do think we did um, a good job um, on that front. It wasn't perfect. Uh, we had to learn kind of, the, I think all the ICU doctors had to learn how to treat them and what to do. And we realized that we had to be pay, putting these patients um, prone, not always supine, and that we had to, you know, do different ventilator sensing. So I think it was a learning curve. Um, we lo- realized over time that the steroids were helping, different things. But um, yeah, I, I think we did it. We did do a very good job. Mm-hmm. And do you think that COVID, even when it's completely gone, will have any long-lasting effects on like American culture or society? That's an interesting question. Um, well, I think our people, <laughs> I think the Americans have a short memory, and I think everyone will be anxious to kind of get back, you know, to things and maybe in a year or two, you know, no, things will be totally back to normal. But I think there'll be a subset of, of people, um, you know, that maybe, you know, realize how easily viruses spreads and how quickly pandemic starts. And maybe there'll be a small set of pa- subset of patients or people that, you know, um, are more cautious and more maybe germ phobic than maybe they would have been. But I think for the most part, America is eager to kind of move on. Hopefully in terms of the medical community, we all have more protocols in place, know how to deal with pandemics better. Um, hopefully, you know, we'll, we've gleaned some things um, in that respect. But I think most people just want to get back to their lives and get back to business. And they're not really thinking about infectious diseases. And, you know, and um, I think that's probably just not the focus for most people. I think they will be just very yeah. happy to move on. Um, so even if even if the people move on, I think the scientific community, the medical community, like this is like a great learning opportunity, and then they won't forget it. Is even yeah, if the people correct. I think the medical community, yes. I mean, they've been immersed in COVID, deeply immersed for the past year or so. I think they've learned a lot, and I think that they will be more prepared in the future um, for pandemics, which are probably going to come on, you know, more frequently. People are saying so. No, I definitely think the medical community. Um, probably has been changed by this. And I think they'll also see vulnerabilities in the system and where we can do better. Um, uh, I think the vaccine rollout, you know, we'll learn from, you know, how to do vaccine rollouts better. I think we did do a good job in the United States. We've done a pretty good job getting our people vaccinated. Um, Obviously, some countries have done better. Um, You know, Israel did a tremendous job with their people. I think there was a couple of other countries that also have had some high um, vaccination rates. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's interesting because I think, you know, most people probably just have not at all thought about infectious disease in their lifetime. And certainly, you know, this probably caused people to pause and think about it. But I think they'll be happy to forget it most people, mm-hmm. and just go about their regular daily lives. Mm-hmm. You mentioned vaccines. Are you vaccinated? Yes. Um, so what were the factors that influenced you to get vaccinated? Some claim like it's not safe. What do you think about the the pros and cons of the vaccine, and what do you think about um, yeah. the safety of it? Um, well, I got vaccinated very, very early on in the pandemic, as soon as it was opened up to medical professionals. Um, I was eager to get vaccinated, one, because the medical professional community and the place that I worked um, being a COVID center and seeing COVID patients there. Um, so I felt that I was probably at a greater risk than the average person in the community. Um, and I decided early on that I feared, you know, COVID and becoming a long hauler, not necessarily dying from COVID because I wasn't really in that age group that had, you know, high mortality rate and I didn't have comorbidities. 
but still like the people a lot of people are having you know long hauling symptoms with COVID and I felt that I would take my chances with the vaccine um, and you know try not to take my chances with COVID um, I felt like once I got the vaccine, then I'd build up some immunity. And so if I did get exposed to COVID, it'd probably be a, you know, a good outcome and my body would have the defenses to fight it off. Um, and in terms of the vaccine not being safe, um, it was tested in thousands of people, was, you know, people beforehand. I've never had a problem with vaccines in terms of allergies or anything. So um, yeah, once it was FDA approved um, for the emergency use, um, I was one of the earlier people to get it. Mm -hmm. And so even when the adults in the family were vaccined, were you, did you just loose up on restrictions? Because a lot of people say that it's not dangerous for kids. You have young kids, three, four years old. When the adults were vaccinated, can you loosen up? Or do you think it's important to still be safe because the young kids haven't been vaccinated? Mm -hmm. Well, that's, um, that's a hard question. Um, so until, um, you know, my husband was vaccinated. I took all the precautions that I took when I was unvaccinated to make sure that I did not, you know, bring COVID home. Also, I got vaccinated very early in December. And so the data wasn't really completely in yet about how, you know, how the vaccinated patients, you know, did in terms of not getting necessarily COVID and about our transmission. Could we be asymptomatic, you know, transmitters? So I obviously still took COVID very seriously and continued on. Um, then once the, you know, adults and the older children in the family, because as the kids get older, they get to be more riskier. So as the teenagers and stuff become vaccinated, you know, I think you probably could lose up on restrictions, mostly for the vaccinated people, because they're, the data is showing that they're very unlikely to get COVID and they're very unlikely to even transmit COVID. So I think for the vaccinated, of course, then you can just loosen up, but then you have the issue of who's unvaccinated in the house, um, which we've probably been stricter, you know, than other people. Um, but most people with younger kids, I think have at this point in time, have them in the, you know, in the communities, in the schools, because they feel that it, um, the benefits to the children outweigh the risks to the children, which I do understand that point. It's always like a risk benefit ratio. So now that the adults and the, um, older teens are vaccinated, you know, the plan is to send my little ones to camp this summer, something we have not done yet. They've been inside basically with us the, um, entire, um, the entire COVID time. But so it seems also that the American public view of COVID has changed, which is also influencing other people's decisions. Everything's open, camps are opening. Yeah. Fauci just said that we could, or I don't know if it was Fauci, but yeah. the Florida the said, CDC, you, you could take off masks. So the American public, do you think of COVID, it's always changed or you think it's, it's changed? Like initially they were strict and now they're more relaxed or you think American public has just always been relaxed? American public has been waiting for the CDC guidelines and I think they've been kind of following it. Of course, there's outliers and people that don't want to be told anything, but I think for the majority of Americans, they've been following the CDC guidelines. The people that have been concerned about COVID for the most part now have been vaccinated. Now that the data is in that they are very unlikely to transmit the disease. Um, I think vaccinated people want to hang out with other vaccinated people. They probably want to go around unmasked at some points. Maybe some of them still want to mask indoors, you know, not sure who they're around and stuff. But I think um, people are relaxing because the CDC guidelines is saying once you're vaccinated, you can relax. Um, and then I think because the risk to the, you know, young kids is minimal um, compared to, let's say, older people, it's still not no risk because there's still the MISMI syndrome and some post-inflammatory stuff. But for the most part, kids have done very well with this, you know, virus, thankfully. Um, I think people feel like the, the kids get more benefit from going to school, from going to camps, from interacting than, you know, just from keeping them home quarantined. Um, so I do feel like 
people are following the guidelines and they are eager to relax as long as they get the go-ahead that it's safe. Mm -hmm. So you being a doctor, radiologist, what precautions have you taken as not to contact the virus and have they relaxed over the time or um, they've always been strict and you've always taken yeah. newest precautions? Um, I've taken, you know, what are the, you know, what the recommended precautions in terms of wearing PPEs, um, you know, N95 masks, um, you know, when needed um, in, you know, COVID areas or in, you know, at-risk areas or in dealing with patients where we don't know their status. So. I, um, I've been wearing the N95 at, you know, at work and just basically following all the guidelines. Um, and I have not relaxed those, you know, standards much. Um, now that, you know, I'm vaccinated, like I said, my husband and then the, my, the older kids are vaccinated. Um, as soon as we finish up with the teenagers, you know, vaccines, then, you know, I feel like I could probably relax a little bit. I do think there's been a general relaxation in the hospitals and stuff. I think the doctors in the doctor's lounges and stuff are taking off their masks more. I think in general, a lot, you know, most of the people have been vaccinated in the hospital system, um, for the far majority. And I think people then feel a little bit more comfortable pulling down their mask and kind of taking some breaks from all the PPEs that we've had to wear. Yeah, there, I think there has been a relax, not just even in uh, school communities, and like people, like the regular average person, also in the medical communities, they've also been more relaxed. When yeah. I've been to doctors' offices and stuff. Yes. Um, and final question is, if you were a leader, um, like Fauci or somebody in the medical community, what would you have done differently, um, especially in the beginning of COVID or even till now? Have, would you change anything? How like America's reaction, the world leaders' reactions? Yeah. Um, well, I don't know. I think we did receive a lot of mixed messages in the beginning. You know, wear a mask, don't wear a mask. Um, some people were saying, oh, you know, wearing a mask is worse because then you're touching your face all the time. So I think there was a lot of misinformation early on. So I think we could have been wearing masks earlier on, quarantined earlier on, and maybe not had, you know, such, um, such bad outcomes and so many patients sick in, those, in the early periods, like in March. In April, like for example, in New York, there was a lot of people dying. Uh, there was having high mortality, and I think that how we early started masking and um, social distancing and doing some other things that other countries have done in the past, you know, with infectious disease. I think maybe we could have mitigated and probably saved lives. So, you know, I think maybe earlier on, um, I think we could have masked up earlier. We could have maybe quarantined earlier. We could have done some things earlier that I think would have helped New York um, and. Um, And so, yeah, I think, you know, I think, I think there were some mixed messages that um, maybe could have um, been more clear. And also, yeah. maybe we could have um, maybe stopped flights from interstates initially. We didn't, if the country, like, closed down, we knew it was in other countries. We should have closed down all international flights, I think, initially. Well, yeah, we, sure, we certainly could have closed our borders quicker. Um, as not to let people in, um, you know, kind of stopped interstate travel as not to let things spread so quickly. Um, and like I said, I think had we quarantined, you know, stricter earlier, we'd done more of that masking earlier and done some things, we probably could have mitigated. Um, and other than that, you know, I think everyone, you know, kind of tried to do the best that they could in the circumstances that we were. I mean, hopefully we're not gonna have a repeat pandemic in our lifetime. Yeah, this was pretty bad. But um, yeah. thank you for talking. Thank you.